Welcome to I Will Watch Anything Once. I'm your host, Mark David Christensen. I'm back from a real long hiatus, kind of an unspoken hiatus. I was taking a break and then it just went too long. But I'm back and I have more episodes coming. Recently I saw Mad Max. Um, What a great film. I haven't seen something that's excited me this much in a while. I've always been a fan of the Mad Max movies, so super pumped to see that George Miller returned for this one. And visually, it was stunning. I love the world he created. I loved how simple the movie was and just let us immediately just jump into that world without over-explaining it. And I loved how simple the story was. It was, we gotta get to one place, oh no, we gotta get back to another place. It was super exciting and action-packed and very great, simple characters. Especially, I love, probably the most spoken thing about the film was um, the female characters. Very strong female characters. Charlie Throne was great, and all the older women that were part of the um, and later in the film were wonderful. I'm not trying to say too much. I don't want to spoil it for anybody out there. But if you haven't seen Mad Max: Fury Road yet, you should go ahead and go see it. I think it's definitely worth seeing in the movie theater. My guest um, on this episode provided me the original Mad Max is on Blu-ray to watch. He's a really cool guy, Cameron Rice. <laughs> I'm here with Cameron Rice, and we just watched The Phantom of the Paradise, or is it Phantom of Paradise? The Paradise. The Paradise, yeah. Phantom of the Paradise. Before we talk about it, um, Cameron, give us a brief description of what we just watched, or just like a synopsis. Uh, so basically, this is The Phantom of the Opera, uh, story of Phantom of the Opera, done uh, with 1970s style music, um, and it's written and directed by Brian De Palma, but uh, that, if that's a name people are familiar with, this is not a common De Palma film it's not a sexual thriller i guess there's corruption there's in elements in there of oh, it. there's certainly de palma-esque elements <laughs> yeah but uh this is probably this and wise guys i think are these only two comedies you could which say which one was wise guys was that the one with- i think that's with joe piscopo oh is that joe piscopo and danny devito oh oh yeah that's the one where they like they're they're salesmen right yeah I haven't seen that movie, but I know of it. And I think those are the only two De Palma comedies. I will look it up his like IMBD while we sit here and talk. Yeah, there might be indie stuff before Carrie that I'm not familiar with. So, okay, we just watched this movie. Before we get to my initial response, why did you want me to see this movie? Well, my original suggestion was uh, Rock and Roll High School, the Ramones film. And I, I think like I tend to, I, I really enjoy films like this, these kind of 1970s and like early 80s kind of go for broke. They don't have the biggest budgets in the world, but goddamn it, they're going to try. They're going to make a movie. Whereas today, you know, like, you can go, I was about to say the video store, and those don't exist anymore, but uh, indie films and people, everyone has a computer graphics thing on their computer, and they can make graphics and all this other stuff. Back then, you would kind of just be like, we're just going to make a movie and see what happens. Like, I have a love for, like, the Roger Corman kind of thing. And even though this is like a 20th Century Fox movie, this is by no means an indie film, but it has that kind of... weed. When they were making it, you kind of get this feeling of like the studio almost felt like, this is weird, so here's some money. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad you hit on like the Roger Corman, because this definitely feels like that. I know I haven't seen a lot of Roger Corman movies. You've probably seen way more than me. But I've seen... I believe I've seen parts of Rock and Roll High School. I've never seen it from start to finish. I, I think I think for me what it is about the films like that is is there's this kind of, for lack of a better term, I don't care attitude. Like, it's, <laughs> it'd be very easy to nitpick a movie like this and Rock and Roll High School and these kinds of films, but I think I just kind of, I do enjoy the factor of like, they just want to make something that's fun. Like, Rock and Roll High School as an example is like, you could be like, would the Ramones really go to a high school because there's a super fan? Probably not in reality, but there is this like, ah, it's going to be fun and there's a giant rat creature and toxic waste and blah, blah, blah. And it can feel like it's everything in the kitchen sink. But uh, this movie, for me, it feels like it all gels fairly well as opposed to, say, a modern day kind of thing like Southland Tales where it's like, here's like 800 ideas. Right. I don't never, know what it means. <laughs> never seen that movie either, so the reference falls flat on me. <laughs> you like those movies and you just share that. You think more people should see this kind of this film. Yeah, yeah. I think a movie like this, uh, Rock and Roll High School, uh, Forbidden, Forbidden Zone, the Oingo Boingo movie, Danny Elfman's in as the devil. Like, this is kind of, like, strange, bizarre 70s, 80s films of people just being like, I want to make a movie, I'm just going to go make a movie. Right, and they could definitely, like, that period of 70s, they could get away with anything. Oh, yeah. If you go back and read books about, like, stunt work and stuff like that, those things were not regulated. It's like, oh, this guy just jumped off a building. 
Oh, boy. And we filmed it. <laughs> Jeez. My initial reaction to this movie is madness. Yeah. It feels like fucking madness. It's, it's insanity. <laughs> like, now, I didn't. I did not, like not enjoy my time watching it. It's right. not one of those moments where I'm like, there's definitely movies where I'm like, ugh, what, what's the deal with Torturous. this? Torturous. This definitely has moments where I'm, I'm enjoying myself. I almost feel like I'm still trying to wrap my head around what Brian De Palma was really going for. I, I, I don't know, and I wish I could say... I, De Palma, to me, is an interesting director, because De Palma is somebody who, if you like De Palma, he's a student of Hitchcock, and he does these great homages, and this, that, and the other. If you don't like De Palma, he's a hack ripoff artist <laughs> that I tend I tend to find people are in either or camp if you know De Palma um, every uh, my, my my thing to that is that every director rips off sure coming up film school and even a little bit of acting that was like just known like the best still from the best yeah and then, for sure. they, then they make it their own I think there's people that are might not be as good about it but I think this if if we're categorized like normally he's known yeah and very much I mean what I'm seeing is like an homage to like Hitchcock but I felt like this movie was full of homage I think this I mean this is just my initial reaction right. to the movie is like I kept thinking he's doing like a 50s musical that's what he's trying to do just update it like the whole feel and like the acting style of, of everybody yeah it's very heightened yeah it feels super heightened pretty dated and I think it, I'm not a one and I generally think that people do shit that a director unless really bad movies like really bad movies mm -hmm. that have no direction uh, are like yeah there's no direction that's the problem with them whereas a movie like this you can walk in with like you like it or not and if it doesn't work there still is an absolute direction and I feel yeah. like all the acting choices are purposeful like he's and I think it for me I was like trying to figure it out and I felt like he was trying to do like an homage to those old fifties musicals. I think there's a degree of that, and I think also I mean, to anyone who knows De Palma watching this movie, it still is very much a De Palma movie. There's the split screen, the split diopters, the extreme focuses, like all the stuff you associate with De Palma that you'll normally normally see in like Blowout or Mission Impossible or Carlito's Way. All that is still here. It's a De Palma yeah. film, but it stands out because it is a comedy musical as opposed to. Um, it's there's violence, but it's very cartoony violence. A guy gets has his head pressed in a record uh, presser as opposed to Scarface violence or anything like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. The design of everything was felt so like that's where I think like even that that record press, the way mm -hmm. it was designed was so large and like cartoonish in a sense that it felt like it belonged in that those 50s musicals a lot. Yeah, so everything about this movie is pretty low. I mean, the costumes are big, the way everyone's acting, the musical numbers. Uh, I think it's also hard to talk about this movie without bringing up Paul Williams who stars as Swan, but also did um, all the music for the movie too. Um, and Paul Williams, uh, I'm sure your listeners would know that person by the fact that he later won an Oscar for writing Rainbow Connection. Right, um, and he was recently on. Uh, the, even the younger listeners, yeah. will know that he was featured on the recent Daft Punk album. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and a big bow. Yeah, so it's like he kind of Paul Williams has an interesting career, and in like the fact that he's like he's not a name name. He's not like a Dylan or someone like that. Like musical people would be like, oh yeah, Paul Williams. But it's like in the '80s he had a big thing. In the '90s he kind of wasn't around, and now he's back again with the Daft Punk stuff. There was a documentary I think two a year or two ago called like I'm Not Dead. <laughs> I think it was, uh, was called about like what he's been doing. Um, but he does the commentary on the on the Blu-ray. The Blu-ray just came out from Scream Factory, which is like they put out horror uh, kind of stuff. They just put out the giant Halloween box set. Oh, cool! With all the films, um, and they do a lot of great work. People are kind of considering them the criterion of horror films. Like they do these great special features. They go back and uh, clean up the picture and the sound and get the directors really involved and stuff like that. So. On this, like, the Palmas feature just as much as Paul Williams on the special features talking about making the movie. I think for me, I also like this movie because of the fact that it, it really almost, you can almost show it to somebody as a cartoonish documentary of 70s music at the time. Because mm -hmm. they kind of hit upon everything. At the beginning, you have the Sha Na Na homage, then the Beach Boys. Yeah. Uh, the character of Beef essentially is a combination of meatloaf, a little bit of like Ziggy Stardust, David Bowie in his dress. Right. And then um, almost like his screaming and then the first song at the on the in the concert. Mm -hmm. Uh it felt like they were moving into like Black Sabbath era. Well, I think I think that was supposed to be like Sabbath and Kiss. I think right. these guys were yeah, they're kiss. kiss. Um 
the main female, her song is very much in a before it gets all rocky when it's just her, it's very carpentry and stuff like that. So right. this is Paul Williams was essentially he talked about when writing this, he basically was like like, Oh, if I could write music for these people, what song would I write them? And so he's like, I wrote a Beach Boys song and a Shana song and a this and a that and blah blah blah. Oh, okay. And that's what's in the movie. That's cool. Now whether I, I can't recall whether it's like the music dictated the film or the film was like because the film, is, it's, it's Phantom of the Opera. It's essentially Phantom of the Opera with these weird soldiers, so the devil elements on top of it. Yeah, like that's where it gets like, okay, let's talk about the Phantom, because I've never seen the original Phantom of the Opera. Oh, the Chain, Have you? Lon Chaney one? Yeah. I ha- I've seen clips of Lon Chaney. So what is the general story telling me that's never seen the movie from start to finish the Lon Chaney? Right. The general or the st- classic Phantom of Opera. Right. Story. The general story is essentially what you see in this, where there's a, a someone who used to work at the theater. He got, he was the music guy. He got injured or hurt. Yeah. Everyone thought he was dead and haunting the the opera and he falls in, he falls for the singer and is like she needs to sing my music and tries to basically hold the theater hostage to be like this is the person who's going to do my music from now on there's no equivalency to like a beef character the, the theater owner is not like possessed by the devil or all that stuff the whole thing is just the phantom likes this girl he wants her to sing he takes her Great. hostage and that, Great. I couldn't it. even remember that much from the, the movie because I saw that updated the, the musical oh Jared Butler <laughs> Yeah. Was that your hard brother? The Joel Schumacher film? Yeah, Yeah, the Joel Schumacher one. Which people liked I didn't give a shit about. But... I think I fell asleep in the theater. (laughs) I'm not surprised. Yeah. Um, But great. So it followed it then pretty true, other than adding a certain some elements. Yeah, it added some of the the, uh, selling your soul to the devil elements, and then... Um, like again, I don't know if the if uh, as far as like what the music is concerned, I don't know if this is like a Nightmare Before Christmas situation where the soundtrack was written and then the film was like, okay, this is how the film's going to go to connect to these songs, or if it's like, look, we have the basic Phantom outline, so what music do you want to do? And I'm not sure how that combination works, but for me, it does work. It doesn't feel like a schizophrenic film in the sense of being like, oh, these don't gel together. There are definitely moments where I was like, this has this has parts where in this movie when the humor sort of feels out of place, but mm, okay. like the tone seems to be shifting a lot to me. Right, and it's almost like similar. Like, have you ever seen Color of Pur- Color of Purple? Uh, it's been it's a while, but yes. There's moments where he slips in like slapstick in that movie, and it throws me. Yeah, Spielberg. Spielberg has a. I think. That, I think because Color Purple was his first. He was his first like serious, serious. Probably movie. true. And I think he, he was probably a little. I'm not gonna say scared, but maybe a little hesitant to get away from the more humorous elements. That yeah, he because to there's do. like a whole part where they're at the like the black like dance club in that movie, and then they all like get like stormed out. Right. The way they treat it is slapstick, and it always bothers me. Because the rest of the movie, the tone is so different. You know what I mean? Yeah, I got to do that a rewatch. It's been a while. Uh, me, me too. But like this movie seemed like a lot of times things I was like on board, and I'm like, yeah, I like, ooh, I like the style of this. I really like the colors and the design, and uh, yeah, it looks great on Blu-ray. It pops like it's a really yeah, pop that, film. It really does. But then sometimes what it would be like him getting thrown out of the record store was the first time I noticed it. So the rest, of, up to that movie, I was like, okay, this movie's kind of set its tone, mm-hmm. and I'm, and it's kind of going to be like, it's going to be sort of like a gothic story, but set in in a pop world. Right. Right? But when it hit that moment where they walked in, and I was even up to the point where she looked, because I thought it was funny, when she looked at the card and says, never be seen by his, his name. Right. His name. But when it went to like, she just hit a, a weird alarm and it went, made like a goofy alarm sound. It turns into a Keystone's cop. Yeah, it keeps it in that. I was like, what? Why is this in right. this movie? <laughs> and then, But at the same time, I'm like, does that fit that 50s... I do want fifties feel. I think sometimes a film like this, when the tone can feel all over the place on a first watch, I think sometimes on rewatches stuff gels better okay. together than on a first watch. Not all the time. Like there's certainly movies I watch where the tone can feel very schizophrenic and stuff like that, and then you rewatch it and I'm like, nope, still feels really yeah. off. But I think something like this, um, I think for me at least, like on rewatches it has like oh, this all really melds well together in this weird melting pot of like Music, horror, comedy, slapstick, okay. all this other stuff. Cool. Yeah. And you're, you could be right. This is just my initial first viewing ever of the movie. Right. What else? Oh, there's so much that stands out in this movie. <laughs> well, I wonder what you think of Beef. What do you think of the character of Beef? Beef was bothersome to me, and this is why. <laughs> first, before we get to Beef, can we talk about the, the drop, the word fag dropped? Yeah. <laughs> the, like, that was so, like, like, it just made me go, yep, 
People thought that way. <laughs> that dates a movie, a sense. It, it it does date a movie. I think like there is the thing of like uh, it's not not to excuse that word at all, but right. the context of the scene is that the main character dresses up as a woman woman and sneaks into the guy's bedroom yes. to talk to him, <laughs> which is super funny. And the whole and, it, and they catch you sort of off guard because it takes you. Don't you, see him, you don't see him dress up. It just cuts it, right to the it bedroom. It just cuts to right, and, and it's weird because there's a it's a weird joke. It doesn't make sense until that scene. Right. The, there's a the scene right before. He's getting thrown out. By the way, let's back up just again and again. It was so disturbing, too, but I liked it when the girls went into that. And why was everything so short, by the way, too, in this movie? We'll talk about yeah. that. I think it was supposed to be a forced perspective thing, maybe. I'm not sure. I don't know. We'll talk about that. But, like, when they go up there and they do, like, a literal casting couch. Yeah. The doors open, and what was that character's name? The big fat, uh... Yeah, um... Oh, I think they only say his name twice in the movie, so I never right. remember it. But I know who you're talking about. His, and his, he's just straight up. Felix goes in, and he... Immediately gets on top of her, and then right. she comes screaming back out. I was just like, "That's blunt." Like about they're not there for an audition; they're just there to let him fuck them. Yeah, and he's not even Swan. He's not even the main yeah. guy. He's like the secondary guy. But what's funny about that is like I could see people watching that stuff and understandably being very offended, even though it is kind of portrayed com- comedically. Yeah. But I've read like a lot of again, <laughs> I've read a lot of books. Like I read uh, Motley Crue's The Dirt, and it deals with like all the roadies who got to sleep with women, so that these Ooh. women could get to Motley Crue. And all, so they're like horrendously gross, misogynistic kind of stuff. But it's one of these things where it's like watching it, like it's done comedically and heightened, but it does feel like Ugh, like there's a layer of truth to it. <laughs> right. There is a big layer of truth to it, and that's like it's funny that we find that like, at one point that's what was com- like we used as like fodder for comedy. That was the truth thing was like, yep, that's how it is. But it's like, oh, now we're like more like more self-aware of it. And like, no, that's not funny because we know it happens. Or now we're open to speaking probably more about it and not making a joke. It's more like, and also, I don't know if that means Brian De Palma is just wanting to shine light on it. But I don't know if this is the movie that would really be considered like, like, I really want to shine light on this darkness that we don't talk about in the the biz. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's true. I feel like this probably stands out too by the fact that if you think about 70s film and De Palma's from the same school of guys where it's like Lucas and Francis Ford Coppola and yeah he's one of the all those first guys. guys from film school right yeah he's from that like that I don't know if he actually went to USC but he's from that crowd those group right. of guys and like this is probably if you think about it what's funny about this movie is like of those group of guys this is like the one comedy I think other than you said like Wise Guys well Wise Guys was the, I'm, I'm not even talking about De Palma's filmography oh. I'm talking about that 70s film oh, school oh those group. guys yeah and well I'm like, you have Spielberg that did 41 19 41. Spielberg does 41, yeah. George Lucas doesn't do one. Who else? We got Coppola France. eventually in the 80s. People in the 80s, like those you directors know, he in did the that 80s. musical, though. Didn't he One do... from the heart, I think, is 1980. Like some... But no, that rainbow one. What is it called? Oh, uh, Phineas, Phineas Rainbow? With, yeah, uh, I think that's more of a lighthearted, possibly comedy, but maybe not But straight. that's also before he was Coppola. You know what I mean? Right. Like, that was pre-Godfather and Conversation. That's probably true, yeah. Like that. And so to me, I think that makes this film interesting, too, is to be one of those, like, the maverick 70s guys. Yeah. And he's like, I'm going to make a weird musical horror comedy. And it wasn't very, like, looking at his discography... It's not very far in. No, it's not. I believe it's post carry. It might be pre or right pre carry. It's it's pre carry. He did his sisters, which I've heard is a crazy movie. Sisters but I've never is pretty seen, crazy. Yeah, I haven't seen it. He did it right after that, but then everything after this is all like horror. There's three horror movies like in a row. I think like Obsession, Carrie, the, the Fury, and then one, and then goes into Dress to Kill, and some, and then into Blowout. Garface and so on. Pretty interesting. Do you generally like Brian De Palma as a director? I think I did. De Palma to me is one of those guys where, I mean, it's been, I, I still have to see his latest film, which was the Numi Rapace, Rachel McAdams film I didn't get to see. Um, I think it's called... Uh, uh, passion, I think it was called. Yeah, I'm seeing it on here. Um, I still need to go see that, but I think like De Palma is one of those guys that's very interesting to me. Where it's like the films that don't work really don't work. But I, I, I say sometimes he write he creates uh, what I call sneaky masterpieces, which is to say films I will watch and go, man, that was pretty solid. And then I will start thinking about right. them later and go, God damn, that was really good. And what, like, what off the top of your head are those ones? Uh, Blowout and Carlito's Way. I haven't seen Blowout, but I do agree with you on Carlito's Way. Like Carlito's Way, I watched and I was done with it. and I'm like, man, that was pretty good. And then like I'm st- and nothing I could pinpoint that I didn't like but I was like that was good and then I the more I thought about it the more time that passed like now Carlito's Way is one of those movies where I'm like I want to show people to be like this is kind of an under I don't know if it's underseen because there was a sequel and some people know about Carlito's Way as this 90s gangster movie but I think of like the Pacino Uva and the De Palma Uva like there's it's not really thought of like Scarface rises above Carlito's right. Way consciously in the pop culture world definitely agree with you on that I think it's doesn't really most people haven't seen it and it's it's surprising when after seeing it yeah and I think maybe, I think maybe because like it 
it's possible that because it's more of a solemn think piece kind of a film I think maybe people thought it was going to be Scarface 2 and it right. wasn't so therefore bombed kind of in a way yeah it's not at all it's such a totally different yeah and I, I think for me what I like about De Palma is like even the films that maybe don't work there's interesting things like I, I really like but I know a lot of people don't Casualties of War the Michael J. Fox I haven't seen that one so I Vietnam film I know which one you're talking about really like his Mission Impossible like that I do too I think it's a great but and again so I think it's not like he wrote it it's, it's, it's a good song he, he wrote it and it's I mean it's a quote you know quote unquote director for hire job but like the the director for hire jobs that he's done which is that and untouchables feel like the palma movies still like they still distinctly in the their direction feel like the yes. palma films and i really like snake eyes the nick cage movie he did after mission impossible i like it but i, think I don't love it, it but i like i it. think it falls out near the end i agree with you but that movie has one of the greatest beginnings of a movie yeah this, that long shot long shot of how many extras is insanity and yeah i mean this movie doesn't have a long shot but this also like the last chunk of this movie has like all these extras and all this stuff going on in this theater it was insane that's where i was like mainly you just end on madness yeah but before we get back to that real quick because we kind of like trailed off, yeah, we'll you know, off. Yeah, yeah. I will probably come back to talking about Brian De Palma, blah, blah. I don't know why I had to say blah, blah. <laughs> that him, him being surprised, uh, back on was talking about when they dropped the word fag, which just was just like, it just dawned on me, like, in that moment, it was just like, oh, oh yeah, that's, that in this time period, that was a normal thing. That was totally fine. It was totally normal. Yeah. And I think it also stands out a little bit in this movie because though Paul Williams is a, is a, in real life a straight man and Swan in this movie is a straight man, in this film, he's probably the most like a feminine kind of guy. Like he's got the long blonde hair. Yeah. He dresses very nice and all this other stuff. So had it come from his second in command, who's like a 1950s, bomb, you know, bouffant cowboy jacket wearing guy, would have been like, oh, that feels true to that character. But right. So this, it feels like, oh, it came from him? Like, yeah, you're like, oh, weird. this is weird. Yeah, it almost feels more. More, worse yeah. because it comes from that guy because it's unexpected and almost more hateful rather than ignorant. And it's interesting too because I feel like 80s movies is where that word is thrown around constantly and trying to think of 70s movies though it was like fine to say back then and no one cared. I am pretty hard pressed to think of a 70s film where that word is you, but, uh, the Exorcist, not the, the Exorcist the only one I can think of when Reagan is possessed and yelling at the yeah, priest. But I, I can't I can't think of it either like when they're, they're throwing that around or using it in that kind of context overly negative context that I can think of unless I'm just forgetting I'm not I don't have an archive of that in my brain right right but it was weird because that moment that where that came from was because he had dressed up as a woman you didn't even realize it until it took me a moment to realize oh that person hasn't shown their side and I was like is that him yeah there's a good minute and, and a half before before you even are revealed that it's even uh, Winslow that's dressed up as a woman but that's because that scene is essentially what Game of Thrones does it's the second exposition scene where all these women are lying around and that's how you find out that Swan films everything and all this other yeah. stuff. And da, da, da. It's these things that these women are saying and all this other stuff. But then what set it up, what we were talking about, how you don't see him prep any of the stuff is one line where he's getting thrown out previously after interrupting the casting couch. Right. He makes some very, he says it like a vaudeville joke. After the, the thugs grab mm-hmm. him, he's all like, do you know where a good department store is around? Yeah. He says it like a goddamn vaudeville line yep. and they're like, yeah, we'll take you there now. <laughs> and the next thing you know, you cut from that <laughs> so one that him just him just saying that out of the blue to those guys yep. as a vaudeville line seems feels super weird it feels <laughs> yeah it does feel like all the comedy like the three stooges got caught somewhere and they were like oh we're looking for the bathroom <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. like other and but like lines and movies like we could probably throw we we'll, could probably not throw three stooges we could throw marx brothers yep and they have lines that will still be funny today that felt just a little too forced where it's like that's not a funny written line no. <laughs> and, and it ended up being strange. a setup for this. What we are completely out right. of the out, out of in the dark, right? Until we see him dress up as a woman. I know. <laughs> It's total chaos, but I love it. I do love it. No, I, I hear you. I totally it. hear, uh, like, I, I'm not contesting or anything like that. There's things that were really fun in this this movie. There were small things that I liked. Set design. I saw it was Jack Fisk. Jack Fisk is the guy that does, um, I've met him. That's why. I met him briefly because I worked I worked on Tree Life for three days. And he is Terrence Malick's go-to guy. I think he only does Terrence Malick now. I could be wrong about that. I'm going to double check just to make sure right. my, I'm not talking <laughs> about the wrong person. But I'm pretty sure that's who it is. Yeah, it has to be because it would be it would, I don't need to look it up because Jack Fisk was married to Sissy Spacek right then, and yes. they did bad yes. the first movie they did together was Badlands that's where Jack Fisk and Sissy met blah and then he ended up doing Carrie and I bet I wouldn't be surprised if Jack Fisk was had to do that's that the Palmas guy at that time it too. just seems completely but the set design in this is super rad yes. there were things I really liked all the back behind the scenes the like the colors like how all the walls were red there was just choices that I really liked that stand out in this movie mm-hmm. 
And then there were silly ones that I liked a lot too, like Sing Sing, it was so weird to me and so 1950s. I liked it. And then they were like, instead of like what we know most prisoners like do is like on a chain gang breaking rocks or making license plates, they were making toys and they had boxes that straight up said like toys from Sing Sing. Yeah, <laughs> like, toys from Sing Sing. It was like tiddlywinks or something like that. Yeah. Like, some, yeah. In my brain, I'm like, who the hell is buying their children toys from I, Sing Sing? People, people <laughs> who can't even do layaway. I don't know. I was like, that grabs me too. It's so funny. And then the way he like escaped was so that's, in a box. Yeah, the whole <laughs> him escaping was so slapstick, mm-hmm. so weird. And that's the other thing where I'm like, this tone is so weird. But I'm like, I'm just gonna go along with it because I think he's trying to do this. Feels like it, you're trying to set it in this 1950s, right? Uh, or the style of it. But yeah, I, I think there's something interesting about movies like this because tone becomes uh, in um, bigger budget films in the 80s and going into not like tone is pretty specific and held throughout. You know, I mean, obviously in the 70s it is too in Godfather and stuff like that. But yeah, I think sometimes that's what I kind of like about low budget, especially about though this is far more of a comedy like horror films is that you can kind of do stuff just to kind of do it and be like, I want to I want to get a feeling across. It doesn't the plot and character truth right. and all that other stuff. I just want to get a feeling out there. And I feel like horror, you're allowed to kind of get away with just doing something to do it, to be like, I want to terrify you. I want you to feel this. I want you to feel that. And this is clearly it's a musical it. comedy. It takes a horror storyline, which is the Phantom of the Opera. Does he, did he, like you've, okay, you've listened to all, like, it sounds like you've listened to a lot of the commentary on your Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. Did they intend going in calling it a comedy? Or do you, when you view it, see it like a comedy? Because I'm curious, did Brian De Palma think this was, I get there's comedy elements in it, but do you think he was actually trying to tell a horror story like Phantom of the Opera? I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm trying to remember. It's been a little while since I've listened to the commentary, but I, I feel like I don't know if this is a case of like when Kubrick made Doctor Strangelove, where he was originally going to make a serious movie, and then, then and then while writing it, him and his writing partner just right. started like coming up with jokes about like what if this happened, and they're like we should make that movie instead. I don't know if in the initial inception of this, this was supposed to be like fan of the opera in the 1970s. Let's make it creepy, and then along the way, they're like this is too goofy, so let's just embrace that. Yeah, for sure. I could see that happening too, and those elements work. Like back to beef. There's a weird thing, and I was like, I wanted to know what they were really going for with Beef, and this was my big beef with Beef. Right. Was that he wasn't, like, when they set him up, he didn't wasn't good at singing. That just confused me, because I was just like, well, why would you get that guy? Your thing, is to, your thing is to piss off Winslow. Right. With not getting Felix to sing it, but get someone else. And I'm like, why did you get someone that you're now setting up to be not good at singing? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he ends up singing f- just fine when he does perform, but when they're rehearsing, you the whole time I'm thinking, like, so he doesn't, he can't sing? I think he just was, screams? I, yeah, I think the idea was like, I think it was supposed to be like a joke setup. It might have been just like that one, uh, what we talked about, the department story, where I just think Brian De Palma doesn't have a, doesn't know comedy very well. He might not. He might not. <laughs> and so, but it's interesting. Or the, does the, it? The, the actor who plays B would later go on to do uh, Jay Sherman's dad on The Critic. He plays. Oh, really? That's who that actor is. He would later go on to that. do more voice work. But Beef is an interesting character because Beef is, you know, talking about what we talked about before. I think he's supposed to be gay. I think there's hints that he's like. Oh, totally. Gay Broadway actor because in his dressing room, there's a, there's a magazine on his dressing room that's like the body and it's a men's thing and he's got the he's got the voice and all that but oh yeah they never use the F word again it's never right. what I like about it, that you could say like the voice is the joke and that's it but no one makes mention of anything about that like him being gay is never a joke beyond the voice which you know is the same thing in Airplane that character from Airplane you know it's the exact same thing where it's like there's the cliche voice but that's at most that joke about him being gay right I would agree like I'm glad that that never became a joke it just became part of the character but yeah I, I definitely was like great the beefy guy that's supposed to be the hunk of course they're gonna play that humor like behind the, the scenes juxtaposition, thing. juxtaposition of behind the scenes he's actually very effeminate which i thought that that guy i think you said he went on to be a great character actor like he played that really well i found him very funny especially when after the phantom which is winslow or the phantom mm-hmm. which was hysterical and, the, and the, the credits had to tell us that the, the right. actor, william fin- will finley i believe yeah. william finley he played winslow as well as the Phantom, like yeah, we all knew. <laughs> that, I, I, don't mind, I don't mind that though because that makes. I think. I think I gotta look it up, but I think the Wolfman, the Lon Chaney Jr. Wolfman, does the same thing. Oh really? I don't think it does uh, dissolve, but I think it's like the guy Tal- that Talbot slash the Wolfman. <laughs> so funny to me. I don't know why it's so funny to do that. But no, but like, I, I hear you. But yeah, I think. I think what's interesting. Yeah, because I agree. After uh, Winslow threatens him, I do love his whole coming down the stairs and that whole speech about like his thing about drugs and he's like, I know them. I use them. This that. Oh, the, the best. The best line was he's all. He's like. What do you, what do you want? And he's like, you, look, 
you don't know what you're talking about. I'm you. You just hand out the you hand out the speed. I do speed, so I know the difference between reality and drug real. Like real, I, I know the real, difference real between real, drug real, 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 and drug real. That was super funny. And then he offers him. He's like, "No, this is gonna bring me down." Yeah. It was a very funny acted scene. Like, and it was yes. very funny. I mean, it, he was easily convinced to go back and keep performing, even though his life was threatened. And then while he's performing, he keeps looking up in the rafters and these little things. Yeah. And his death, where I think he gets electrocuted, and then this is where you know you see a budget. Is then then there's just a giant fireball on the stage. So I guess he erupted in the fire. Yeah, you're like, so I guess he just burned to death yeah. after getting electrocuted. He was that flammable. For the most part, like I enjoyed all that the performances because they felt the era that he was homaging to for almost all of them. Yeah, Paul Williams is Swan. Paul Williams not an actor uh, by obviously by trade, but it's like he sort of for me felt like he was embracing 1950s, 60s Hammer horror films where it's like they're very big in the acting and yeah. all eyeballs and hand motions and all this other stuff and he's just kind of creepy on his own I'm well, gonna be honest his the way Paul Williams looks again I don't know how old he was at this time because they, they do play it off that he sold himself to the devil yeah to stay young forever but basically like the Dorian Gray thing only yeah. instead of his image being in the mirror it's on a videotape it's a videotape yeah he's kind of creepy even in the flat like the video where he's younger and they have just his haircut and he's in the bathtub about to kill himself before the devil comes he just has a creepy look his youth just is disturbing to me it looks like fake youth he's an interesting looking dude and it's also funny because what we talked about is like the forced perspective stuff I do wonder how much of that is because Paul Williams is a short man they didn't they didn't hide it when he was next to Winslow though. no they did not they didn't hide it at all even when he's next to the female lead right but then, as you said, forced perspective, you think it's because because he's so short, they didn't want to call it out in the set because there's so many Maybe, doors yeah. where Winslow and other people had to bow bow their head, like, lean down to get in. And it might not be forced perspective. It might be a character thing of, like, Swan is such a dick that all the doors in the buildings he owns are going to be his right. and everyone else can get down to his level. Yeah, it was so weird because even in And the, it's a subtle thing. No one says anything. No one you calls it out. It. It's just part of the set design. The first time it called itself was at that the casting couch part. That made yes. it very clear. Because it's the double doors. Double so doors. Very... You're like, those are short. And they had to lean down. But then when Winslow attacked the office, which I, all, I have to say, I love the design of his office. Yeah, this white glass. The, that glass, the black walls. Mm-hmm. And, like, that's when he tacks there. The, those are real low again, too. And I was like, why? So maybe it is a touch on Swan. But then Paradise doesn't have any of that either. Like, backstage isn't short. Backstage isn't, but, like, the recording area in those rooms are. Yeah, that's short, too. So the rooms where Swan would probably spend most of his time, those are shorter. I wonder if that, that's, that's such an interesting thing, if that's a weird choice to just, like, yep, I want everything short for me. <laughs> and, yeah, Paul is an interesting guy, too, because, like, he, he looks to me like, if they ever did a biography film, he's too old now, even, but it's, like, I feel like Toby Jones, the British actor, you just throw, like, a blonde wig on Toby Jones and those glasses. He Which looks one's a lot- Toby Jones? Toby Jones played uh, Capone. Capote in Infamous, the same year that Capote came out. Uh, he's also in The Mist, and in w- he played Carl Rove in W, the uh, Oliver Stone movie. If you look him up, he's a very well-known character actor. I probably know who he is, and I just can't put a face to it right now. But yeah, I, I think like everyone in this movie is like they're all heightened, but they're all on the same level. And sometimes that could not work in a movie like this. In a movie like this, like some actors are playing at different levels and different variables, right. and I think that's the job of a I think a good director to make sure everyone is on the same heightened level. Yes, I would agree with that uh, because if they're too far one way, or if they're too subtle and trying to play it more real, then, then it's it doesn't like, fit that doesn't the whole work. show. Yeah, the one thing that caught me, and it has nothing to do with this movie. Right. It's that I hate this about movies in general. Is that, great, we know that that Swan records people. I hate when when we go back to look at the recordings that someone has already made, they match the film that we're watching. <laughs> Drives me up the fucking wall. Like in, uh, in uh, is it, I think, yeah, Star Trek uh, 4? when they look at the footage of Kirk blowing up the Klingon ship from Star Trek 3. Yes! Just, like, where was that camera? <laughs> yeah, you're like, where the fuck was this camera? I don't mind that for whatever reason. I, I hear what you're saying. <sighs> I find that charming in a way when, like, in, in, like, Star Trek, I'm gonna go Star Trek again, the next generation, when it'll be like, play back that footage, and it's, like, just the episode ten minutes ago. <laughs> it drives me. I don't find it charming at all. I find it, like, you didn't schedule time 
to make sure you had something that makes it so it's real, like I just want there to be a little realistic. Or like when reality. Rocky goes to rewatch his fights from the previous films and he's just watching Rocky. Is that really what happens? I think so. Oh, I think even shit. I think including crowd reactions. Oh, that's oh, that's so bad to me. Because in this one they did it a couple of times where I was just like, well, that's like the first time we watched Swan watch Winslow blowing up the car. Was it Winslow? Yeah, I was like, oh, how convenient he's watching the same fucking thing we are. Right. <laughs> like, like, including the zoom up. Because the, the shot had this really cool shot where it was a split screen, but then one of the shots on was a zoom up to the phantom hiding and right. in the shadows. And that's exactly like, wait, so your, your surveillance camera decided to zoom? <laughs> like, what the fuck? Like... <laughs> I love it. <laughs> <laughs> it's so bothersome to me. I'm the worst. It like those simple things, which is like whatever. Stop doing that. What? I don't know. I, I mean, I totally hear you, but it's like I guess the alternative, which is more realistic, is like an episode of 24 where they like play that back and it's this grainy black and white footage. And I'm like, I kind of, I kind of almost wish they would just throw in the episode of 24 right. from an hour ago. <laughs> I get it, and it probably is just to do with that, where it's like we just need to make the information clear for the audience, right? But my stupid picky brain goes, wait, no. <laughs> that's not what that camera would be look like. That's not the camera you shot. The, that's not your, the quality of your it's surveillance film, cameras. It's a film quality. They have a, <laughs> yeah. a film stock. So all your, all your surveillance cameras have reel-to-reel? I don't know. <laughs> it's such a picky thing, but it, it, does, it does tend to drive me fucking bonk. No, I, I know a couple of people who have that problem. So I-, <laughs> I mean, again, I can let it slide, but I will call it out. <laughs> I'll, be like, I'll be the first one to be the prick that's like... No, no, no. Well, I'm, I mean, I feel that way whenever, and this movie does not have that, but whenever a phone number is 555, oh, I get yeah. why they do it. I know why they do it, but it's a minute, like, no matter how movie a movie is, the minute they do that, it rips me out, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm watching a movie. I'm watching a movie. Well, a lot of times, even when a movie has a, that has to say a phone number in it, it feels forced. You ever notice that? Yeah. Like, that's, inf- it's like, it's like information that's like, this doesn't help us. We don't give a shit. You don't need to tell us the phone number. Just, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, unless, like there's other ways to ride around. Unless there's a movie like, like phone booth where a phone is so integral to the script that a number thing makes sense but outside of that yeah I'd like to know what caused them to have to start doing that like what movie had a phone number in it that somebody might have started getting phone calls at well people still do that and the most recent it's not that recent but the most recent thing I remember is like Bruce Almighty like there's a scene where either Bruce or guys I haven't seen it for a while someone gives someone a number and it wasn't 555 and I remember it was in the news like a week later that these numbers were getting phone calls really going like I want to talk to God ha 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 Whoa, I didn't know that. Yeah. I'm surprised that that still happens. I thought that just all movies would have to have a safeguard number. Well, I think there's occasionally a movie, like, you know, people like me who just want to be like, no, just put a number in there. Just put in, not 555, put in a number, and then something happens, and they're right. like, never mind, go back to 555. We fucked up. Yeah. This this person's getting calls. Joanne in Ohio is really pissed. Yes. <laughs> she doesn't even see, she hasn't, she hasn't seen movies for like 30 years, so this is really scaring her. Oh, I also want to note, we we skipped over this, uh, or it might not even be noticed, uh, the opening of the movie, Rod Serling is the narrator. Oh, I did not notice that. Yeah. I mean, I just didn't realize it. That's awesome. So it's the Twilight Man. Yeah, Twilight, Twilight Zone. Zone. Um, I don't know why it's a Twilight. Kids don't think that's Twilight. <laughs> The Twilight, Twilight series. Oh, jeez. Yeah, that's awesome. I didn't realize that. I liked that opening, and I like how you didn't realize what the the dead uh, crow was. Right. Is it? A, it's a crow, right? Yeah. I like that. It was just like narration over that, and then you were like, "What is that?" And then later on, you're like, "Ooh, that's the record label." And that I was pretty cool. Death records. Death records. <laughs> really on the nose, but great. Yeah, I love. Um, and I love Winslow's phantom outfit which is like this bird mask thing yeah um, I feel like it's like a, well then I'm like is that a call out to him like being sort of swan like a different version that or the maybe just the record label the arrogance of like yeah the arrogance helmets of my record label bird could be that and then this like leather hellraiser outfit with a cape yeah I like that he's supposed to be really he's just tall and skinny He's really not a threat. He's tall and skinny, and there's this great shot of like him on top of like Swan's house, which I think we we determined is called Swanage. Swanage, which was just so weird. <laughs> like Swanage, like, Swanage. We both it's like doing. Swan Manor would be like more clear of like, yeah, I know where we're going. Swanage felt like. <laughs> I mean, we both do improv. Swanage feels like something you say when you're doing a scene, and you're like, take me to. The swanage. Yeah, like somebody <laughs> so, messed it up and said it. Or, or, you're, or someone's swan. trying to be funny in a scene, like clever in a scene, and they're like, somebody's trying to make up a silly term in a scene, and they go like, yeah, you got you got swanage. And you're just like, that's stupid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it sounded so dumb. But there's so he, so that we go to swanage, and you see Winslow 
on top of the roof and the cape blowing in the rain and all this other yeah. stuff. And it's so funny because like that so many years prior, but it, like, I thought of like the, the 89 Batman. Of, oh, like, I can see that. The shot where it's like the opening shot of the 89 Batman, not opening, but one of the first shots where it's like that shot above and he's like rotoscoped in the cape and everything. Like that kind of a thing. What, wait, on the first Batman? Yeah, I just watched it. it. I'm trying to remember which it's shot right, you're it's thinking. It's after the, uh, the, do the kid a favor, lady. Don't scream. Oh, yeah. When, he, when he's in the back and he's behind the criminals. That uh, part? or Right before that part. It's it's one little shot. But anyway, my point being is that what's interesting to see like a character. I just want to figure this out because yeah, I just watched this movie. I'll have to show I'll have to freeze frame it. Um, but what's interesting to me is like now we live in an age where it's like there's superhero movies all the time, and and Winslow's not treated like a superhero, but just that silhouette of the guy with the oh. cape on the manor and the rain and all this other stuff. It's a great looking shot. And it's very cool. Yeah, I definitely I would agree with that. The one shot I thought you were going to talk about because when they cut to the manor of Swans. Swanage, what are we calling it now? Swanage. Swanage. There's that scene, the silhouette on the roof that mm-hmm. leads to that. Yes. To me, matched in Dark Knight Rises when Bruce Wayne's like up there watching the party. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was that's like, I that's, that, but that's, that's what I thought you were going to talk about. And then after he kills uh, Beef, he's then climbing up to the theater yeah. these ropes and this cape and everything. Yeah, it's real. It has silver inside of it. Yep. And I love the death of Beef where outside in the ambulance the crowd is just going Beef! 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 <laughs> they're like crowd surfing. It doesn't even look like the ET- EMTs <laughs> no, are taking this. They're crowd surfing him to the ambulance. I mean, it looks like they're crowd surfing and shouting his name. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just like this is madness. It's such like a heightened version too of like commentary on like pop culture of like yeah. look what they'll love you when you're dead or like like you'll turn into a star overnight and it was such a heightened version because even the concert the way the extras like the way the concert goers mm-hmm. were just seemed insanity to me like how crazy they were going for these bands it reminded me have you seen that they'd it? never really heard ever too well it's like there's the guy in the end in the red shirt and he's featured a lot which is like the guy the guy like, crawling with him out everything. Yeah. that made me think of uh, the Rolling Stones documentary Give Me Shelter Ooh. and when you see the crowd in that and how like right. they're all drugged out and it's crazy and right. the 60s and you're just seeing these people go like and you're like this seems like madness right I think that was the only thing that would, uh, would call my attention it called my attention was that like that's expected for the Rolling Stones right, right. this felt like it's supposed to be like a Broadway show a, it's just or a Broadway thin. show or like Swan is just introducing this band the no juice, one knew Juicy who, Fruits no one like Juicy he got rid of Ju- Juicy Fruits seemed like if it was the Juicy Fruits then they it felt like they were already a band that like had a following mm-hmm. whereas like Beef seemed to be new but and then, he's been doing it for a while which makes me think like is he a Broadway yeah, it was a little confusing right there, and that's why I was like, oh, and then like they went so crazy for Felix after she sang that I was like, she's brand new. I mean, Phoenix, yeah, Phoenix. Sorry, I kept saying I keep saying Felix because I kept thinking they said Felix. Well, to be fair, when so it, dumb. When I thought Winslow they said Felix. Get, when Winslow has to get his voice back, he he does sound like he's going Felix. <laughs> I, I took it as Felix, and I'm a dummy. And I, even after seeing the credits, I realized it was Phoenix. But I well, kept but saying, also, I keep saying Felix. That's also why Swan says to her, "He's like your name is perfect. We won't even have to change it." Yeah, that's true. <laughs> her character's interesting. The fact that she goes, and, which you know, you could say it's the theme of like absolute power corrupts the innocent, yeah. and something like that. Because like she on a one night. In one night, one goes from night. like the most innocent. I will not do well, casting no. couches. I just want to sing. To like, not even innocent. Let's. I don't, I don't want to call her innent because no, innocent's yeah, different. Yeah. Like if sure. we're gonna treat her as innocent, we'd be so she would be like very shy and kind of like almost right. be team taking an advantage. Yeah, she goes in like hard headed, like. Like I'm in a, a sense, I'm a singer. Right. I'm not going to do this. Even the second time, the second audition, she's just like she almost walks out. She's like, "I'm out of here." And they're like, "No, sing." Then in one night after singing, and the crowd is like, "Yay!" They only applaud her. They don't like shout her name. Yeah. They don't like go. Cr- they don't. They like they applaud her, and immediately, like, like on a dime, she's just like, "Yeah." I'll do anything for you. Yeah. <laughs> like, Listen to that crowd. I want that every night. <laughs> yeah, like, it's just like... And then she goes from that to Winslow the Phantom tries to take her to the roof. Like, I understood, like, her, like, fear of his face, but just seems so hyper-reality that, like, sometimes I'm just like, hey, man, you could just listen to him for a second. Like, you remember was, this character. I think character. that was supposed to be... He's not nearly as horrific, but I think that was supposed to be an homage to the Cheney mask coming yes. off and, like, how 100% her agree. reaction is. 100% agree. My gripe with it is... What I want to say is my, my gripe with it is not completely valid. Because I know what it's doing. And it right. does it fine. But then she goes and gets in the car. That scene where, where he's watching um, them make out 
It's so weird. It was so creepy to me because we got to see so much of Paul Williams and nothing of her. There's levels of creepiness because, like, you get to see so much of Paul Williams, but Paul Williams is, like, lying there in a Jesus position. Like, it's not like he's doing anything. Like, just lying there. Like, they're kissing, but he's, like, arms out, and she opens up his shirt, and I'm like, is she going to suck on his nipple? But she doesn't, but she starts, like, kissing his chest. I kept going, where are you going to go with this? Because this is going for so long. And then we pull back, and you see Winslow's watching, and then Paul Williams is filming him watching. That's the creepiest part, is he turns on the camera, and he seems to then get on. Like, he starts to get off on the fact that he can watch another person watching them yeah. and know it's driving him crazy. It's 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 a step above people who put mirrors on their ceilings. Right. <laughs> it really is. It would be the next level. And then that's when we got introduced to, like, sort of the more of the supernatural element. Because the Dorian Gray aspects of it. Yeah, because out. he stabbed himself and then he's like, I... And that great... You have that great 1970s melted red crayon oh, blood. So bright. It's so bright. <laughs> it's Dawn of the Dead style super bright red blood. <laughs> yeah, so bright. The, the devil thing was pretty insane. Adding that element. Oh, but before we move on, like, Phoenix, like, the night after she sleeps with Swan, she's doing coke in the car right? yeah. as soon as she arrives. <laughs> I'm just like, what? <laughs> it's just so extreme. I think I actually, I think I said during while we were watching, I'm like, well, she sold out super fucking fast. Yeah, I think for me, it doesn't, it doesn't like, it super stands out, but it's not like a bad standout. I think because we're so near the end of the movie and the movie's super ramping up like right. a roller coaster. Had like that happen and the movie was another 45 minutes, you'd be like, yeah. this all happened so quickly. But the fact that the movie's over five minutes after that, it's like, I'll go all with right. it. I'll go with it. It was, it was on its crescendo yeah. on the way out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I hear that. And it definitely is. And again, it's a hyper reality. So I get it, but it makes me laugh. And then like Paul Williams comes up with the creepy mask. Oh like, my god, that silver mask, mask was terrifying. Probably like it was a mold of his face. So it, yeah, like... but it looked like a baby, and that's why I think his face just in general, because he looked so young. Yeah. I think we both laughed. Remember when he threw he threw the record the giant recording machine? Yeah. And it just burst into flames <laughs> into the videos <laughs> into the video collection. Yep. That was ridiculous. I love when Winslow opens the door and the door's been blocked by bricks and he just screams and it's so loud the whole theater hears yeah. it. Yeah. And then he like hulks through the bricks somehow and the metal door. <laughs> My explanation was that it was that when they showed like the aftermath of him hulking through, all the cement still looked wet. Yeah. So I just assumed like, oh, this, the cement didn't dry, so it was really easy for him to get through. <laughs> I like he, the logic of that. I also like the idea that he got so mad that he powered. Yeah. Kool Aid man his way out I, of there. You, you went with super like the Hulk power. At me, I'm like, <laughs> I justified it like, oh, just cement didn't. Yeah. Cement didn't. Uh, did dry, so it was easy to get through. Yeah. And he, we could both do that if we had to. I'm like, he Kool-Aid man <laughs> out of it. <laughs> well, he did the metal door, for sure. Yeah. Then you have the sequence where he's writing the music, and you get that, get that great 70s dissolve stuff coming in and out. Yeah. Her image is going by the camera. Yeah, that was a lot of cool stuff like that. I liked the music all around for like that era. I thought that it was fun. Yeah, and you caught a musician. In a sequence. Yeah, there was there's there's a scene when and you said you would want to own that ta- the, his desk. He's sitting in the middle of this giant gold record, and the only way I can assume you would get into that record is you would have to like like a little kid get down and crawl. Yeah, I kept thinking because when you said when you said during the movie you're like, oh, I want that desk, and I'm <laughs> and like that made my brain, which I probably should be paying more attention to what's going on in the movie, but my brain goes like that would be a pain in the ass to get in, like. <laughs> He's in the middle of a giant and like a it's giant like, it's record. Like, it's almost like a flying saucer cliche where it's the giant round and the little bubble in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was cool. I'll give you that. It was really cool the way it looked and everything. But they go around that table and he's like figuring out who he wants to be the replacement for Phoenix. And there see. you see the 70s music cliches. Of like, yeah. So that first one was kind of like a folk band. It was probably more psychedelic. Yeah, I think it's more psychedelic because that's what he would have been because he had a band his name's Ginger Baker and he's an amazing drummer and he was from Cream and then he did all a bunch of psychedelic bands or like something I'd have to look up the name but it includes like it's Ginger Baker's like something something Mm. band and he did a bunch of and then he drummed with a bunch of African bands and then now he just brought out a solo album this year that's amazing called Why and you should watch well if you like jazz drum you should listen to it because he's he's traditionally like a jazz drummer but he's considered and he's also considered the first rock drummer even people say like John Webb's great but Ginger Baker's like on a whole other level like even like Eric Clampton said that I think in the documentary I watched you should watch it Beware Mr. Baker it's on Netflix yeah Yeah, it's on Netflix great documentary just a a character documentary Mm -hmm. because he's fucking out of his mind (laughs) the guy's crazy 
And it's awesome. But yeah, so there was like that. I liked, I liked, I generally liked the music. I thought it was really like enjoyable music. Except for Phoenix. The, what's that car- That actress? Oh, um, I think she's later in Brian De Palma movies too. She might be in a later one. She, the movie she did right after this is Suspiria. She was the lead in Suspiria. Ah, Suspiria's good. Yeah. It was one of the few horror movies that I like. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I'm not a big horror guy. I avoid them for the most part. Yeah. Because <laughs> I get scared. I scare easy because like, I give over to the reality of the movie. Like this, it's like, great, this is a 1950s, I'm going to give over to it. Right. I mean, of course, if we're talking about now, I'm going to break it apart. But horror movies, I give over to the reality too much, so I avoid them. Because mm-hmm. I get scared. Super easy. <laughs> Super fast. I love I'll buy into I love all the world. A lot of people do, and I just can't. Uh, I tell people, they're like, somebody recently asked me to go see something, like a recent horror movie that was coming out that Anna, was good. Annabelle? Fun. The doll movie? Might have been Annabelle, and I just texted, I think it was my fr- friend, just Shannon Joy Rogers. She said, you want to go see this at like 7.30? And I just went, no, too scary. That's all I text <laughs> back. Like, that's it. That's all you need to know. If it makes you feel better. Everything I've heard is Annabelle is not scary. <laughs> Great. <laughs> But see, that's what I hate. Is I like, if it's good, it means it was scary. If it's bad, then I wasted my time. I feel like right. right. I thought, what's her name again? <laughs> Jessica Harper. I thought she was a terrible dancer, though. Her I, dancing is very. I feel awkward. like she's trying to do Jonas Joplin. Jonas Joplin. 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 Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> but I feel like she's trying to do her. I think so. I think. But she's terrible. It's a weird hippie dance. <laughs> yeah. Thing. But she's like bobbing. She's, she's bobbing. It's like her arm. Because like the hippie dancing tends to be because it's hippie dancing tends to be way more free and stuff. It felt like her arm, like it was controlled, like her arms were yeah. in her body and everything like this. <laughs> it felt like she was trying to be flowing and like with the music. And I was like, no, you look so. It's you very, look like you look like a white person that has no rhythm. Yeah, it's very, <laughs> it's very odd. It's, um, but again, I find that charming. That's a guy that big smile on my face. Where I'm like, oh, she's trying. She can't do it, but she's trying. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you that. I'll definitely give you that. We have not talked about Winslow, I think, enough. The actor, Great, let's do it. I think this is what I like about these kinds of movies, and I love the reason I'm, I think I'm also a big fan of horror movies is for myself I think it's a combination of being a movie fan and then also having like a romanticism about blue collar kind of life and blue collar workers and horror films and films like this are always making character actors the leads and basically saying like you're, you're gonna be the lead you're the dad in every other movie or the cop or this or that this whole movie is you this is your film. Right. Um, and so I think probably that's why I love like this era, 70s and 80s era of horror films. Because like once you get to the 90s, you get into Scream and it's like recognizable teen actors and TV actors and all this other stuff. Yeah. But like this era is like Lance Hendrickson. He mostly just plays cops, but he's the lead in Pumpkinhead. Yeah, 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 <laughs> you know, yeah. Stuff like that. So like this actor, he mostly he mostly did a lot of earlier De Palma stuff. I think he might have done – I think he might have had a he, role in Dress to Kill after. I'm pulling it up right now. He did sist- He did Sisters, Dionysus in 69, mm-hmm. I think is De Palma. That is De Palma, yeah. Uh, and then he was like – yeah, he d- I mean I don't know most of the other stuff that are in here. He passed away I think like two years ago. Oh, wow. Um, he did mostly horror though shows on here. Except yeah. for a little appearance on Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Can't forget that. And he was in Black Dahlia. He's really good, and I think like he's got this. He's got these very, ex- which helps because he has this mask on, and he only has half of his, like one half of his face really. But it's like he's got these really expressive eyes. Yes, which work great for this character because even though it's like he's the Phantom, you're supposed to feel this symph- sympathy for him. He's this artist who wants exactly what he wants, and all this other stuff, and he gets pushed too far. But then he gets taken advantage of by Swan and all these other guys. So yeah. it's like they picked a good actor who feels like. He's thin and lanky and has this very kind of expressive sad dog face and these big geek glasses for yeah. like. Oh, I love shirt. how thick they are. Double pane of glass is how thick those glasses were. Yeah, this uh, to give people like if they didn't want to look him up, like this actor probably would not be far off if they cast him as like Gene Wilder's cousin in some movie back oh, in the seventies. Oh, for 70s. sure. <laughs> like, yeah, he looks similar to the guy that Mel Brooks kind of used, uh, the guy that plays Igor. Oh, uh, Feldman, Marty Feldman. Yeah, but he kind of has that similar character face. Yeah, if Marty Feldman were like, he might not be a very tall person. I don't think Marty Feldman Paul. is. This guy, totally. Well, I don't mm-hmm. know if that's because he's next to Paul Williams most of the time. I he looks like, tall. He looked just tall in general, but again, I don't have his, I don't yeah. have his specs. Yeah. <laughs> I don't so, have his stats here. Yeah. <laughs> but so, I think, I think he does a really good job. I love when, like, the way he uses his body once he's in the phantom suit and all this other stuff and, like, how the way he uses, like, the side of his face and the eyes and all this other stuff. Yeah, just, like, he only has against... one. It's not eyes. It's, it's he eye. used yeah. one eye yeah. as when he's the phantom. And it's very, for one eye, it's very expressive. Yeah, like, like the scene we're talking about where he's, like, pressed against the top of that window and everything. Yeah. Like, it's all, you see all of the anguish on his face. 
having yeah. to watch Swan and Phoenix together. I feel like that might have been a direct pull from like the old Phantom movies, probably. Oh yeah, because I f- or like that kind of era of monster movies in a mm-hmm. sense, because it he f- he felt to like flow with his whole body like that, almost yeah. like Nos- Nosferatu. Nosferatu. Nosferatu, how like yeah. his hands would raise, and it mainly was for like to cast a shadow. But yeah, the like, characters in the whole body. Yeah, exactly. There were two things. Other thing that I thought was a uh, homage in the set. At the in the concert, the the, the big oh, concert, like this Frankenstein. Monster you know that Frankenstein. Sequence? That that set, I think, is uh, if I'm correct, is that whole backdrop on that concert. The first song mm-hmm. um, is the Cabinet of Doctor Caligari. Oh, I'm I've pretty not, sure. I've not caught that before. I'm pretty so I'll have sure to it that. is. Uh, that wouldn't shock me with the Palma being just who he is. Nerd. Yeah, exactly. Like all those guys. So that wouldn't shock me, but I never caught that before. Yeah, I was like, that's because I like. the those old silent movies and that's one of them that, right. that I like a lot and it stands out I feel like I'm gonna wa- I feel like this is a movie I'm gonna walk away from and I'm gonna be mad because we didn't talk about it enough we can always do a part two I love talking about this movie I really feel like I'm missing something that I know I probably should that's why I think I should write notes when I watch these movies for this but at the same time I hate writing notes <laughs> yeah I don't I just I want don't. to enjoy the movie I never write with notes when I when I do movies because for me it's like about like if I can't remember it in the moment then, then it didn't stand out. Yeah, um, I do love like we talked we talked during the movie about this sequence was the the guy who's like what sign are you? I gotta go. This theater's got bad vibes, man. Yeah, <laughs> and he seems super just high. Yeah, like he clearly was just super fucking high. And then they force feed him drugs to keep him there. Oh god, yeah. He's like here you go. He's like Can do I you get have more of this? And they just shoved like a handful <laughs> in his mouth. Didn't the one of the beach boos have a big drug problem? I think so. I wonder if those little things that are meant to be like a call out to that. Because that was the Beach Boys scene. Which maybe wouldn't surprise me if Paul Williams brought that. Like, Paul Williams does not have a writing credit, but he was in the music world at this time, so... He probably totally knew, yeah. Be able to tell Brian Palma, like, oh, there's this and this, and this is an interesting fact about this musician, and blah, 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 kind of a thing. I wouldn't be... I would not be surprised of that. Yeah. Did he... Brian Williams provide the singing voice for Winslow? Or did that guy sing... I think that's him. Is that him at the start? Mm-hmm. Okay. I was just curious if it was or not. Harper has a great voice. That's her voice. I really liked her voice a I lot. I believe it is. The biggest thing for me was I knew at the end of this movie they were going to show all... They were going to do a classic, like, go through the cast and show their... The old their, musical. Like, their names. I was looking forward to that, like, almost... When we were in the fucking madness of the end of the the fake wedding Mm -hmm. the assassination which was super funny like another moment where the camera shows you too much when he's looking at the camera and the actual surveillance camera shows the assassin like putting his gun together and I'm like that's a a great dramatic shot for me as an audience but that shouldn't be the surveillance (laughs) that whole craziness of that concert what I love about that is the idea is like 1979 probably didn't know much about surveillance cameras at that point like footage because we're not seeing that on the news so they're probably like Oh, yeah, that probably is how those work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, it's getting really in there. Before we get to the credits, I was a little disappointed by his face when I finally saw it. I almost wish it wouldn't have Oh, Winslow's? Winslow's. Mm-hmm. And I think I was just because probably a cheap, again, budget. It's just another budget thing. But his was at least a little fun. Like, you're like, okay, it's really... It was one of those faces where you're like, that's not that terrifying. Right. I, I could deal with that. I thought it was in the same room with me. But... I loved how bad I didn't get what they were going for because after they burn the footage of the contract that that Swan has made with the devil, mm-hmm. which is already a weird scene in itself, that he right. recorded that and that had cuts into again surveillance Two other had, deals. Had, had but not even that it had cuts in the footage between the mirror and him in the bathtub in the right. footage it was like I, like on my mind I go did Swan, Swan which enough that he just got somebody to edit that. <laughs> I do, I do love the fact that it's like there's different deals in this one reel where I'm like, hey, film's expensive. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Gotta just put it on one reel. Yeah. <laughs> so funny. But once they burned that, I didn't understand because it was like he should grow old, right? Because his deal wasn't that he – his deal, I mean, maybe it is deal that he wouldn't die. But essentially his deal is you'll grow – as long as you keep this contract, you will stay right. young forever. But then the, when he got – his mask fell off, it just looked like he was bleeding on his face. The only thing I – I didn't th- understand yeah. what the fuck that choice was. The only thing I could think, and I don't know, and this isn't explained, <laughs> but I think – the only thing I could think – is like when we see him in the bathtub and he's like talking to himself, his voice is really like this, man, and very da da da. But the mirror version of him is the Paul Williams we've been hearing throughout the whole movie. So I'm wondering yeah. if it was more like a switcheroo kind of a thing as opposed to him actually staying young. So it's like if that was the devil the entire time. I thought that too because his voice, ch- I th- I'm glad you thought this too because I was like, did the devil 
just switch places with him because even when he goes back and when he, f- he records, his voice changes. When he goes back and listens to the recording of him yeah. signing the contract with Winslow, the voice is different. Right. His voice is distorted, almost feels almost like it's purposely supposed to be devilish. Right. And that's the same thing on those co- other contract videos and the one where he's talking to the devil and think it matches that. So I'm like, did he just become the devil? So I'm wondering if that's what it more is, is like, so he doesn't become old because it's no, it's actually no longer Swan. Swan right. went to hell and this is the devil on earth or yeah. something like that. And that's the reason I don't want the picture. Such a late little like moment where the lady's like, you don't even remember me from high school? <laughs> and she has a locket with still his fucking face in just to show us that, oh, he still looks the same when he was in high school. I love, I love the bad <laughs> 70s acting though from the girls around her. It's like. Wait a minute, you look old enough to be his mom. Yeah. <laughs> so dumb. Oh, and that fight scene at the beginning when the Juicy Fruits are fucking oh, playing. Yeah. And the two side singers get in a tussle with a guy. And then one guy jumps on a girl. Like, it's literally like a date. It's like a rape. Yeah. Like, a rape, like or at least sexual assault. You straight up had sexual assault. Oh, he walks back on stage with a bra in his mouth. Yeah. Yeah. And she runs off and then he comes on and I was just like, man. Ooh, different times. The 70s. <laughs> different fucking times. Oh, when boy. sexual assaults can be in a musical comedy. Can be funny. Yeah, like, <laughs> but I think that's also probably a callback to the 50s. Yeah. I bet if we watched a bunch of 50s, like, musicals in that period of, like, girl, we can't think of that goddamn blonde. Wish we could think of her fucking name. Yeah. Pajamas or whatever, the pajama party or whatever the fuck that musical's called. Yeah. She was in Deborah. Uh, I'm thinking Deborah Kerr, but it's not Deborah. Isn't it something D? I feel like it's something D. I feel like we can't let you leave until we figure, find we this, figure out. this out. Isn't Pajama Party one of those fucking I musicals? I think so. I believe so. It's going to drive me crazy, right? I know. But uh, Oh, so I was looking forward to when we were getting to the end of the movie. I was like, they're going to do this. Like, this movie's got to do one of those things where they show the character and the act, mm-hmm. put the actor's name up. And I was so happy when they did it. However, like most of those times they do, they like pick one, like they pick like one scene out of the movie and that goes, like they go, let's show that, like that pinnacle moment that we all loved him from yeah. and we'll freeze frame that and show it. This decided, I felt like they were going to show us the whole fucking movie again. The only reason I can assume they did that is because like the the song being played was like a reprieve of one of the other songs, but this uh, time sung by Paul yeah. Williams. And it wouldn't surprise me if there was something in the contract about... If I'm going to write all this music, I have to be featured on one of the songs by the end. That probably is probably true. They probably were like, we just have to play the whole song. Therefore, this end (laughs) credits is going to go super long. It was just so ridiculous. Because watching movies now, it's so easy to forget that like... End credit sequences are not long. You watch Jaws, that end credits is like 10 seconds. Yeah. The shot of the beach, boom, boom, here's who made the movie, I go back. Back in the day where like, there were used to be in the very beginnings of movies that were super long. Well, it was, it was I believe and then, it was Star Wars. It was Star Wars that broke that trend. I think the, he definitely was one of the first ones to break that trend. Of, like, I think he got in trouble in Empire for it. Yeah, he had to pay like a sat, like, not a sat, like uh, a DGA or something like that. Yeah, one of those, one of the unions he had to pay a fine because of it. Which now, I mean, think about all the Marvel movies pretty much just open up with the Marvel logo movie yeah. starts. Credits have become like part of the movie now. Yes. I mean, they. I mean, back in the day they were too. Mm-hmm. For sure. I, I prefer a movie that like kind of uses its credits to get you set for the for the what you're watching. Well, this movie does. <clears throat> this movie does that. It's got like the flashing light. Yeah. Um, font. That's really for cool. The opening of the movie. Yeah, I thought that was really cool. I liked that a lot. I mean, overall, I enjoyed this, but it was just mad. Yeah, I think it will work better. Uh, even though you did like it, I think it will work better on a rewatch too. Like things that didn't gel, maybe will be like. I could probably, I could see it. Like now. I know what's coming, and I know this is how this works now, and blah blah blah. Well, maybe we'll have to do one day a group a group watch. I'd be down for that because sure. I'd watch. I I don't want to watch. I wouldn't want to watch this movie again by myself. Mm-hmm. I would watch this movie again with a, like with an audience if it was like a screening somewhere or with getting a bunch of friends to watch it together. Think my in- can you pull out your phone? Sure. Look up pajama party. We're gonna go out on this. Okay, none of these names are familiar to me. Uh, Annette Fulicillo, <laughs> Lisa Lancaster, Jody McRae. What are you looking at? Uh, pajama party. Who's the lead? Pajama game. Oh, that's what I'm thinking of. Okay, here we go. Doris Day. Doris Day. That's who I think. This kind of like those movies definitely. You could find. So we were right on the D track. We, we were right on the D do. track. Couldn't think of Doris Day. Anybody that loves musicals probably hates us because we couldn't <laughs> yeah. think of it. <laughs> Sorry, uh, I have a lot of them and I've watched a ton, but, but I, I couldn't. Yeah, I definitely things. think this movie was a callback to like that old, those kind of fifties Doris Day. Yes, but the, and very misogynistic. Yes. 
hidden misogyny. Yeah, I in think a so sense. too. Maybe not now, but it felt it feels like they tried to hide it. Yeah, like we're talking about the bra sequence. I feel like that's a sequence where you're watching. You're supposed to be like, "Oh, that rascal." Oh, that rest. That's so fun. Boys will be boys. And now yes, it's like... terrible <laughs> 1950s boys, yeah. <laughs> uh, exactly. Great. Well, um, I know you got to go. I'm sorry. If I'm, I'm definitely making you late. No, fine. But um, thank you for sharing the Phantom of the Paradise with me, Cameron. And thanks for being a guest. It was a blast. <laughs> <laughs> I saw movement, so I was like, oh, he's going to stop it. Uh, no, I usually just wait for somebody to say something, Cameron, and you... Froze. My bad. Thank you for listening to I Will Watch Anything Once. You can follow Cameron Rice on Twitter at, at Jurassic Alien. Also, he has his own podcast, Cameron Watches Movies. Follow um, that on iTunes. I was a guest on that, episode 8. We talk about Edge of Tomorrow. Check that out. As well as he's a co-host of a great show, one of my absolute favorite indie shows, indie improv shows, Cry Clips, at the Clubhouse every second and fourth Sunday at 10 p.m. It's a great show where the inspiration for the improv sets are from B-movie clips that the team puts together Uh, if you haven't seen that show definitely check it out again cry clips it is the second and fourth of every sunday 10 p.m at the clubhouse if you're enjoying i will watch anything once please rate and review on itunes and subscribe you can also follow me on twitter at iwwao and stay up to date on further um, episodes and information and who my guests will be as well as the tumblr at i will watch anything if you have any suggestions of movies that you think I should watch, please go ahead and email me at IWillWatchAnythingOnce at gmail.com. And remember, if you haven't seen it once, you can't complain. What's the famous, like, singer that did all the musicals in the 50s? I can't think of her name. Oh, uh... uh, uh the Blonde. Yeah. Oh, it's going to drive me crazy, too. Oh, my gosh. That clearly probably got picked up. Whatever. Little, that little, little children. Per- children yelling in my neighborhood. Ugh. They also want tacos. Yeah, they also want tacos. It's a taco neighborhood. Yeah. <laughs> it's a real big taco neighborhood.